would definitely double close when you're dealing with bigger profits and there's more risk that could happen. Something could go wrong where they decide they don't want to sign or something. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out, fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, hello. Welcome. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many others. With us today, we have... Someone who is incredibly active in the Phoenix, Arizona market. He is the CEO and Director of Sales and Marketing at Spencer's Investing. And his specialty is acquisition and he, with experience in rehabs and wholesale deals. So we're going to talk all about his experience. And in fact, he's bought and sold over 500 properties in the Phoenix area. First, how you doing, Will? Nice to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you, Joe. I really appreciate being on the show, and uh, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, my friend, and excited to dive into this. Will, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure, absolutely. Um, I started out when I was 18 years old uh, getting into real estate, and I've kind of been working my way doing wholesale all these years, and I've just recently been getting heavy into the remodeling side, so... I've uh, ventured over to the fix and flip side and I've done several hundred wholesale deals and it's been getting bigger and bigger and just constantly growing and doing more and more. So I'm really happy about that. I've met a lot of cool people in the business and it's an exciting and fun business and I'm happy to share anything and all my experiences with you and the best ever listeners. Well, thank you. I'm certainly glad I know the best ever listeners are as well because I'm really curious you started doing wholesaling. Now you ventured over to fix and flip. 
whenever I look at it objectively, wholesaling versus fix and flipping, I think wholesaling is more profitable and then you also mitigate a lot of your risk. But that's coming from someone who has never done a wholesale deal and has never done a fix and flip. It's just based on you know the interviews I've, I've conducted and people I've spoken to. So why did you go from wholesaling to fix and flipping? Well, I think one of the biggest setbacks for people going into fix and flipping is they don't have the funds. And right, wholesaling is less risky. But I mean, I've done so many deals where I've passed these wholesale deals off to these end buyers and my investors, it got to a point where, you know, I wanted to be on the receiving end of making the big money, not just a small wholesale profit. And so it's to a point now where I can cherry pick the best deals and I still do wholesale as well. And, um, you know, obviously if the deal is a sweet killer deal, I'm going to want to take it down myself because that's where big risk, big reward. So, um, but you you can structure wholesaling certain ways to where you have absolutely no risk. And I'd be happy to talk about that too. Yeah, let's talk. Please do. Let's continue on that. Okay. Well, um, as far as the typical wholesale deal, I always talk about the no money, no credit. It's, it's absolutely right. It's not just all the talk that you hear from the gurus and whatnot, but you can do wholesaling with no money down no risk. And as long as you structure it correctly with the homeowner, you can have an inspection period. Uh, we, we utilize that a lot where we have 10, 15, 20 day inspection period. And uh, it allows us to market the property. And if we don't find a buyer by then, then we have an out with our inspection. So it's really just about going how you structure it how you go about it. And if you can get it at the right numbers to where you can move it, then sometimes we don't even do an inspection. We can just get it under contract and then line up a buyer the next day. So it can be as easy as that sometimes. When you have the property under contract, what are your specific steps that you take from property under contract to closing on the deal? Uh, the first step I would take is if it's going to be a wholesale deal, my first step is I have a pretty big buyer's list and I have maybe a hundred or so that I call my go-to contacts and I can call any one of these and all of them will buy a deal if it's at the right numbers. And what I like to do is I get it under contract. I immediately go to this go-to list and I start making my phone calls and I call them up and I say, Hey, I just picked one up today. You're the first one uh, I'm calling. I want to give you exclusive first access to it. Let me know in the next hour if you want it. And if not, I'm going to call 20 other people. So I've been able to sell a lot of properties that way because I, I feel it's more personable when you call them directly and say, hey, I'm bringing you personally a deal versus just sending it out to the masses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone kind of just chomping at the bit to find out if it's still available and whatnot. And that's probably my first step is just to make my rounds through my phone calls. And then if I can't sell through that, then I'll put it out to the list. I have a buyer's list close to 15,000 email contacts. And then if I don't sell it with that list, then it's probably I got it the wrong numbers, you know? Mm -hmm. Are you only doing deals in Phoenix? Yeah, mostly Phoenix and Maricopa. 
I've only done one deal out of state and that just happened to be from a connection here in Phoenix. And so that's kind of my bread and butter right here in the Valley. Mm -hmm. You're making a call to someone on your 100 or so top go-to contacts and you're giving them an hour. So that means that you're going to have to, let's say you call them at 10 a.m. You say, hey, I got this deal. Call me back by 11 a.m. if you're interested. Well, does that mean that you don't call the second person until 11 a.m. comes? No, I mean, what that mainly means is that I'm just kind of putting the pressure on them to let them know like, hey, I'm giving you first access to look at this, but at the same time, I have a bunch of other people I'm going to call too. And I can usually get a feel for it over the phone. They might even tell me like, oh, okay, hold it for me. I'm going to go drive it right now and I'll let you know within 30 minutes. So I tell them I got I pick something up and here, take a look at it, let me know. And if they come back and say that, you know, they'd rather pass on it, then, you know, I obviously just start calling all the other people. But I usually get a feel for it over the phone and, you know, I can kind of tell if it's something that they want or maybe even though they are my go-to guys, maybe it's not specifically what they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for a different area or a different price range. So I like to keep it kind of a personal bubble because when you're calling one by one, it keeps you kind of connected with them. And you can also find out, oh, this isn't something you're interested in. Okay, well, what are you looking for? And then you can take mental notes. So that you know who to call when you do have a specific deal type of thing. Do you keep track of that in any written format or electronic format? I have my entire buyer's list, just an email Excel sheet that I have through my email marketing. And then uh, for my 100 go-to guys, I do have specifics, I would say for probably 50 of them. And, and, you know, like it'll have like little notes underneath, like this one's only looking for three twos in North Phoenix. This one's looking for rentals with double digit cap. So that, that kind of helps me because I don't call every single one when I have a deal. I'll just try to pick out the ones that I think that will want it. And then I'll let them know that, you know, you have a short amount of time to let me know if you want it or not. And I'll make some other calls. Did your 100 go-to contacts come from the list of 15,000 that you have and they were just the ones that are more active or did you come across them separately? Um, I would say they came from the list and they're just people that I've known in the business that have been doing this and I've sold them several deals. So it it just kind of came from networking, knowing who's the big players in the market, who's the ones that are actively purchasing every single month. Another thing, too, is I know a lot of investors can come into the game and then they get out of it. So I really made it a point to continually keep adding to it and just never stop and stay consistent, just continually add. And I've never really stayed stagnant with it. You know, I've been building it since 2008. So that's going on eight years that I've been continually building every single year, adding new people. Where do they come from? the people that you're adding to it? I have a special niche that wouldn't be probably really useful for your listeners, and it's come from LinkedIn. It's really as simple as uh, just going through the search, and you can type in Phoenix Real Estate Investor, and boom, you're going to get hundreds of contacts that pop up. 
and you can go ahead and add all of them so you can grow your network. And then what you can do is LinkedIn has a system where you can click on your contacts, click on, I believe it's the settings button, and then all your contacts will show up. And then there's a little button to the right, the top right corner that says export contacts. And when you click that, you suddenly get an email with an Excel sheet of all the emails from every one of your contacts. And I probably only have, I don't know, four or 5,000 contacts on there. So that's helped get me a lot of contacts. But uh, I've also been doing it the old-fashioned way, networking. I used to do what they call ghost ads back in the day on Craigslist where I would post an ad for a property and then get a bunch of investors emailing you on it. And you just say, oh, I'm sorry, this one's no longer available. Let me take down your info and I'll give you more deals in the future. I haven't really done that too much anymore just because I feel like Craigslist is a lot of spam and people doing that. But uh, back in the day before they had the Craigslist at craigslist.com email, they would uh, actually have their, their real email. So that was a good method too. And just a lot of networking. Every time I'm out and meeting new people in the business, I always make a mental note to get their contact info. I love the LinkedIn tip. I do that myself. What I don't do, I'm curious to hear your the feedback that you've gotten from it. I don't put those contacts in a list because they haven't opted in. So have you been blacklisted on any email servers or have you gotten some hate emails because you're sending an email to people who didn't opt in? No, I haven't gotten any blacklist. What I initially did was I made it a note to just add only real estate investors and developers and just anyone that would be in the game in real estate in Phoenix. And that's how I converted thousands of contacts over. And now my LinkedIn network is so big. I probably have people that aren't even in real estate that are my friends on there. Mm-hmm. So I haven't done it with like all the new contacts, but um, my philosophy is like, okay, well, if, if you're not interested, then feel free to unsubscribe or let me know and I'll gladly take you off my list. I haven't really had any sort of people saying like, take me off your list. It's usually if it is someone, it'll just be like, hey, can you unsubscribe me or just things like that. And I usually am pretty courteous and let them know, yeah, I'll take you off my list. So I haven't had any problems with that. And when I upload the list to my email marketing, like my campaign, they call it, where you can add all your contacts into it, I just let them know, like, hey, this came from my network on LinkedIn. And I've never had them come back and say, well, did they opt in or didn't they? So that's never been a problem either. Hmm. What email service do you use? Mad Mimi. Mad Mimi? Yep. M-A-D-M-E-M-E? M-A-D-M-I-M-I. I've used Constant Contact. I've used Eye Contact. And I feel Mad Mimi provides the best service. They're on top of everything. I feel like I'm getting a little bit better open ratio than I was with some of the bigger companies. And it's also a little bit cheaper. So that's always a nice benefit too. Hmm. How much is it? I believe I'm paying... Uh, 59 bucks a month on it. And that's for the 15,000 subscriber count. I'll have to double check, but I think it goes $43 for under 10,000, 59 for under 15,000. 
And then I think it's in the 80s for like 20,000 and under. Where a lot of these bigger companies like Constant Contact, I know they're probably going to be close to $100 for 15000 and less. Yeah, that's a great price for it, especially if you're happy with the results. I'll have to check them out. How much on average do you make on a deal when you wholesale? I would say that I would shoot between 5000 and 10000 is just the standard wholesale deal. But I do have, I have built a lot of connections where I'll have people come to me with a deal and say, hey, can you help me sell it? Because they know I have a pretty strong list. And deals like that, you know, you might clear 1500 bucks or 2500 bucks. So to me, it's awesome because I'm taking someone else's deal that I didn't have to really work for. And all I have to do is just send out an email and I could split their profit or I could make a little on top of it. So that's really cool. Do you send the email or do you make the phone calls first? I'll go through the whole step one, step two. Like I said earlier, I'll, I'll okay. do the phone calls. Um, and in that case, I might call up one of my investors that fits the criteria and say, hey, an investor friend of mine picked this up. I just wanted to run it by you. I don't know if you've already seen it or not, but here it is type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I usually don't like taking other people's deals and like marking up on top of it. I know a lot of newbie wholesalers can do that where they will just take someone's deal sometimes without even asking put five grand on top of the price and then just immediately send it out to their list and i feel like sometimes that might leave a bad taste in some of the buyer's mouths you know and plus it can kind of lead to a reputation of this guy never has his own deal type of thing how do they actually close the deal if they do it without the original wholesaler knowing because the original wholesaler has it on the contract and they don't. Yeah, and technically, I don't even think that they're allowed to do that because you have to have some sort of equitable interest in order to market it. But what they would do, and I've seen it done before, where they would just, if one of their buyers happens to buy it on it, they would contact the original poster of it and say, hey, I have a buyer for it. He wants it at this price. I know you were selling at this price, so that'll be my profit on top. And Mm -hmm. It'll work like that, but I, I've always been one to, I, I wanted to build a reputation with my buyers that when I send something out, I want them to know that with Spencer's investing, I'm direct on the deal. So it's going to be a good deal because I don't want to really send out, just spam them with deals that aren't that great. I only want quality deals and I would like to be direct on them. And if I'm not direct on them, then I'll make sure that it's the same price that the other wholesaler has it as, and I'm getting cut in on his profit type of thing. Do you double close or do you have a philosophy on showing the end buyer what your fee is to wholesale it? I would prefer to double close. I think when you're getting up in the 10,000 range and more, definitely you will want to double close. And I think it's just bad on all sides around to let everyone know that what you're making when you're only making 5000 and under, definitely assign it because that's really not that much. It's the same as a realtor would make if he were to sell it. But there's been deals where there's twenty grand or more being cleared as a profit. And that might be a slap in the face to a seller where you just grilled them down on price. So I would definitely double close when you're dealing with bigger profits. And they're more risk that could happen. Something could go wrong where they decide 
they don't want to sign or something. I've had some instances where that's happened where everything was perfect, everything was ready to go, and then they just decide last minute I'm not signing, so it just kills the entire deal. So it's best to just keep all sides separate unless you're dealing with just a couple grand or five grand and under, I'd say. And if you do a double close, how do you finance it? Well, if you do a double close, if you have a buyer lined up already, you don't have to come into the deal with any money. They just do a simultaneous close from mm, the first right. leg to the second. And so and I know there are some hard money companies that will do like a bridge loan where they'll just finance it real quick and then you can close it out later that day or the next day. But most double closes I've done have always been just a simultaneous close with the other buyer lined up. You have your A and B contract with the seller and then you have your B and C contract with the buyer. So from the sellers and it looks like you're buying it because they're signing the papers with Spencer's investing as the buyer. And then with the buyer, they're signing papers with Spencer's investing as the seller. So it just looks like you're in the middle and they can't see the other side. Yeah, some states you can't do that, and that's where the transactional funding comes into play. In Arizona, it sounds like that's not the case. Do you have to pay capital gains taxes on that one? Yeah, you do. It's just the standard capital gains thing with if you were to flip it in two months. Okay, so that's like usually around 25%, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Well, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best? investing advice would be to get around people that are doing what you want to do and just learn as much as you can from them. Just finding mentors that are willing to teach you and coach you. I've always been a big believer in be willing to work for free in order to learn and gain knowledge. And so I've gotten behind some people that have been really, really helpful. I've learned a lot from a lot of different people and I've just learned as much as I could. I've went plenty of time where I didn't really make much money. I could have made more, but I did it for the learning experience and all of that has paid off in dividends, you know, throughout the years. Have you paid, you said you'd be willing to work for free and you have, have you paid someone to consult you? No, I haven't, but I have kind of worked for free on numerous occasions where I've didn't really make any money, but I still was involved in a lot of things. I even made it a mental note to go out of my way and experience investors doing a fix and flip property. I'd want to go down there and meet him and see the property and see what he's doing. You know, investors telling, giving me advice on do this, do that. And I'd just do anything I could to just absorb as much information and learn as much as I could as I went. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yep. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you're looking in the Big Apple for real estate, then go speak to Nicole Beauchamp. She's a previous best ever guest. It's episode number 312. She offers bespoke brokerage services for sellers and buyers of real estate in New York City and beyond. You can email her at Nicole.Beauchamp, B E A U. C-H-A-M-P at E-V-U-S-A dot com. Best ever book you've read? Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. That was probably one of my 
favorites and one of my most memorable books uh, talks about your sidewalk slow lane and fast lane and you can choose different paths to well and uh it's a really good one i recommend it to anyone best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it a duplex that i bought in south phoenix really really rough area it was a, actually a triplex at first when i bought it and all three tenants just dipped out on me it was a huge headache i've learned a lot from it and i converted it to a duplex and ended up selling it last year and overall the experience was just i learned a lot i made a lot of mistakes but i ended up profiting in the end so i want to trade it for anything what's the best ever deal you've done that would be my rental property right now that i own i bought it in 2011 i believe for 32,000 4 years later i had it appraised at 132,000 and i guess you could say i was in the right place at the right time but i've always believed that luck is being the right person in the right place at the right time and i, I took the action and it's so far been the best deal i've ever done what's the best ever way you like to give back Touching on the mentor subject I did earlier, I would say that I am willing to give back by coaching and teaching newbies that are getting into wholesaling, and I'm happy to sit down with anyone that truly wants advice and wants to learn, and I'd be happy going over anything with them and sharing my experiences and my wisdom, and if that can help them, and that's how I look at giving back. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? I would say the biggest mistake would be probably follow-up. I've missed out on a lot of deals by not being consistent with my follow-up, but I would say it's only a failure if you don't learn from it. So I've really been consistent with my follow-up, and I've really learned to just stay on top of leads until they're completely dead. So that would probably be my biggest mistake on the early stages, not following up correctly. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? LinkedIn. You can go check me out under Will Corey or Spencer's Investing LLC. You can give me a call 602-909-6817. Shoot me a text. My email is spencersinvesting at yahoo.com. I'd be happy to help anyone out or connect with anyone in the game and learn from them. So feel free to reach out to me if you like. And why don't you have a website? I don't have a website because I feel that I did have it one few years back, and I used to use it to update my property. Every time I got a new wholesale deal, I would quickly go to the website, and I would update it with the information. And I found that a lot of these deals were being sold like within a day or two, and it got to a point where I wasn't even updating the website. So I don't use the website to convert traffic either. I, I usually do the traditional ways of signs, direct mail, but um, it just got to a point where I wasn't really utilizing the website, and so I just got rid of it. I love that fresh approach. You don't typically find that someone, a wholesaler in particular, doesn't have a website, but you still are leveraging the power of social media and the internet, obviously, by using LinkedIn and having that as a way to build up your potential buyers list. Well, Thank you so much for being on the show, Will, and really appreciate you spending time with the best ever listeners and myself. I enjoyed hearing about your unique one-two punch for how you do investor outreach. 
first you get on the phone and you call a select number of investors, which it reminds me of people who make a conscious effort to stay in touch with 50 or so of the individuals who they want to stay in touch with in their life. So they put them in a spreadsheet and they just find a way to stay in touch and touch space with them. And then the second approach is what everyone else does. And that's sending out an email to your database. I love that personal touch because it definitely, I know, it builds the rapport and the relationship with the investors that you have. And it allows you to not only send them deals and get more transactions done, but then get more referrals. And I'm sure more business has come out of it and perhaps even leads by taking that approach. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to uh, connect with all your best ever listeners. So thanks for the time and the interview and uh, talk to you soon, Joe. If you're looking in the Big Apple for real estate, then go speak to Nicole Beauchamp. She's a previous best ever guest. It's episode number 312. She offers bespoke brokerage services for sellers and buyers of real estate in New York City and beyond. You can email her at Nicole.Beauchamp, B-E-A-U-C-H-A-M-P, at E-V-U-S-A.com.